All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to another edition of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. Of course, Canada, U.S., Philly, and uh, Edmonton slash St. Albert is where we reside. And uh, Frank, as always, lots going on in the uh, hockey world. How are you doing? How was your weekend? I'm good. Weekend was good. Um... A little bit problematic from a diet perspective. I, I know I keep coming back to that, but I, I ate like I was going to the chair this weekend and it's, uh, it's eating away at me mentally. I, I lost 22 pounds to start the year and Jay, I'm giving it all back. I'm like a guy at a casino just giving back house money. Oh, gee, yeah, that is tough because you feel so good when you lose the LBs and then you jump back on the scale and it's like, oh, brutal. So I feel like a well, sloth. Yeah, we, we might have to do a, a fun contest. Um, many years ago on, uh, on my radio show, uh, my producer, Meg, at the time, she was getting married. And so her goal was she wanted to fit into a wedding dress. And so for fun, we had show weight. And every Friday, she stepped on the scale to ensure that she was on her goal of making the weight that she wanted, that she selected, because don't have anybody get mad at me. It wasn't, you know, misogynistic or anything. It was quite funny. And she felt that it really helped her because when we were live, so we had a scale right in studio. So we would go live with it. And if she wasn't having progress, you know, then she would feel shame. So uh, she's, she actually ended up crushing it like three weeks early. And then she just was like, well, now what do I do? So it worked out really well, Frank. So we could do that's, show weight. That's actually why I said something. Cause I was hoping I would just shame myself into, 
into feeling like I need to get back on the bike, do something. You know, I was, I was, um, the big thing for me was meal prep, you know, and actually like, let's, let's launch right into frankly speaking, because this is, there's a perfect tie into this variety. I was told is the enemy when it comes to eating, you got a meal prep, get your everything set. I would eat Turkey, ground Turkey with a little Buffalo sauce on it and some roasted carrots. That was lunch every day for a month. And I didn't really get sick of it, but I can tell you that I am sick, quite frankly, of the NHL's division alignment at this point, only having interdivision play. I think it's, it was nice to start. It was interesting. It was different. But halfway through the season, it's run its course. And the fact that we still have another half to go seeing the same teams, it's going to be tough to take. And I know why we're in this spot with the pandemic and COVID-19. I get it. But like too much uncle, um, you know, 10 times seeing one team in one season in certain cases, it's okay. You know, we've got another battle of Alberta coming up. Great. Other than that, come on. And I just hope that for the people that were lobbying for more division play, that you wait and see how the rest of this season plays out before we go and set the schedule for next year. Because I think a lot of people are going to be sick of it by the time we get to the finish line. And not to mention, it's jacking up numbers for some players seeing some of these teams in specific circumstances. Like, uh, you know, this is just totally cherry picking some numbers here, but take a look at what the Montreal Canadians have done against the Vancouver Canucks. Jeff Petrie, five of his 11 goals against the Canucks. Tyler Toffoli, eight of 15. And it's not just that one instance. There's two bad teams in every division. So teams are piling up, whether it's, Vancouver and Ottawa in the north, Buffalo and New Jersey in the east, Nashville and Detroit in the central, or you've got San Jose and Anaheim in the west. I mean, look, I, I get that there's always going to be bad teams throughout the National Hockey League in any given year. That's why they have a draft lottery. But still, the fact that things aren't spread out, not a lot of flavor in that. And I, I wish we could see a little bit more. Like I said, I understand where we're at, but I'm tired of it, Jay. Wow. You and I are totally opposite here. I love it. Um, like I look at the North and you talked about the battle of Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary tonight. And in a normal year, you'd have teams tight. All of a sudden, you know, Edmonton plays Vancouver. They, they lose two to one and Vancouver, even though they, you know, they've got, they got a real hard time because they played more games than everybody else to play catch up, but they still seemingly think they're in it. And now Edmonton, who is on a roll, suddenly is like, well, geez, they're going in. Daryl Sutter, all of a sudden the Flames are playing defensive, tight hockey, not giving up anything. Can Calgary get back in it? And the funny thing about Ottawa is if you look at their record, they're 10-20-1. and Doesn't look good. You take away their games against Edmonton, and they're 10-13-1. and Like, it's funny how some teams can dominate one team. Like, people were mocking the orders for beating Ottawa, and then Ottawa goes in and beats Toronto again. Mm-hmm. And it's... To me, it's kind of funny. I think in a normal season, when you have those other games mixed in, then the, like if if Toronto and Montreal, instead of playing, you know, well, they play four times, but even if they played six, I think their fan bases would like it, but you would still have all of those other games. I agree. It's a little bit too much because of that's all there is. But I do think if we could somehow have a few more uh, divisional games, now the risk is, that you might limit not seeing some teams. And I'm not a big fan of that. For the heyday for a while, when Crosby and Ovechkin were in their prime, and, and they're still good, but in the early, you know, like 2008, 9, yeah, 10, the schedule 11. Was, and, 
Right. You, you weren't, not every team got to see those players and that sucks. And I'll tell you right now, if I was a fan in Carolina or pick a team in the East and they're like, well, we don't get to see McDavid once. I think that sucks. So it's going to be a fine balance. I don't think it's going to be a massive amount. I might, I might see one extra game slid in here or there, but the league's got to be cautious of that because I don't think they want certain fan bases not seeing the best players in the game. Well, so, but we're talking about going back to the old divisions. Like that's what's happening here. Provided that the border issue works itself out, which people I see in the news are already starting to get antsy about what does the level need to get to vaccination wise, perhaps in the U S and and it's almost like, could we see a reversal of what's happening at the border? You know, before it was previously that Canadians didn't want Americans coming in now with the vaccination rates so different, could we see Canadian Americans not wanting Canadians to come in because they're not vaccinated. So that's a whole separate side issue, but what we're talking about is the old division. So when you say you want to see more divisional play, you want more, if you're an Oiler fan, Sharks, Kings, those teams, like that's, it's not more Canadian teams. Although yeah, we, yeah. we could see a little bit of that sprinkled in. But it, that's not what we're talking about here long term. No, no, I don't think you're going to see that. I think what's going to happen is I know from the, the Canadian rights holders, they would like to see Edmonton, Toronto even three times a year instead of twice. Right. And so that's I don't think it's going to be more of the divisions, but I do believe I don't know how you which games do you take away? You might then say, OK, because right now Edmonton plays central teams three times in a normal year. That's Maybe where you cut. Right. Maybe they cut that to two and they take those eight games and sprinkle it in that you get two more or one more against Toronto or two more. So you're still playing every team at least twice. I think that's important. And your divisional game should be the most. But I think they'll have some select rivalry games that they'll try to pick to to make it a little bit more enticing. Because that's the only thing is once you you do select rivalry games, then you're dealing with an unbalanced schedule, right? And, and it's always going to be a little bit unbalanced because, well, at least at this point, the number of teams in the league. Yeah. But at a certain point next year when there's 32 and you've got four divisions of eight, it should be a balanced schedule and there shouldn't be any disparity in strength of schedule. And you're yeah, seeing I, a little bit of that this year too because certain teams get the Sens and – the Habs and some of those teams, the Canucks at the bottom, more like one and more game than others. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I think we're we go overboard in our fairness factor. Um, at the end of the day, if you're playing an 82 game season and you have to play three teams one extra time than, than someone else, I'm not ultimately sure it, it's going to impact it that much to be honest i'd have to go in and go year by year and look at it because we've had unbalanced schedules before when uh um uh, the the east and the west teams would only play each other once sometimes and one time it'd be a team at home and then the next time they'd be a team in the road so we've had unbalanced schedules and i don't think it was ever enough of an imbalance that it made it obvious that there was a clear advantage for someone yeah and look like i said I get why we're here. So like, don't, don't mistake this. Like I'm thankful that we have a season, but like, I just, we're only halfway through and it feels like groundhog day sometimes, especially when you get so many games in a row Uh, and in an uninteresting matchup, you're like, Oh, well you can almost like cancel this week off as an interesting one for this team because it's just not going to be. 
Quickly, Frank, um, speaking of, uh, I don't know if it's uninterested or interested, but uh, Nikita Kucherov skated and people were freaking out uh, about it. And I, I think it's important to note that skating on the ice on March 14th doesn't mean he's close to playing. I watched him skate. Uh, he showed nothing of a guy who looked remotely close to get in game contact action. But I am curious in a month's time or five weeks, like, I, you know, some people want to say that Tampa Bay is, is, uh, is cheating the system. And I'm like, I don't think a team is purposely going to sit out their best player mm-hmm. all year long. Now, if it's a week, okay, we might say, ah, you know what? He probably could have played May, May 5th and they kept him out until May 10th or 12th or whatever that is. Sure. But, and, and some teams might do that anyway, but I don't see anything wrong yet because Kucherov is skated. What do you see? Yeah. Nothing wrong yet. Like, I mean, I'm with you. I watched the video and I was like, that, that doesn't look like a player who's anywhere remotely close, but I think what people are starting to sound the alarm over is the fact that Tampa Bay really hasn't done all of the heavy lifting required yet to get themselves in a position where they could activate him if they wanted to. So what that would mean is prying off a big piece of this team cap wise before you could activate Kucherov. And and so people are saying, look at this team where they are in the standings. Does this look like a team that is prepared to do that? And so I think everyone's kind of curious about that. Um, And also because no one's really ever done it to this extent before. Patrick Kane's injury was different uh, a number of years ago when he came back for the playoffs. And I think a lot of people, that's the only time this exception's really been used. There is no salary cap for the playoffs. So you keep the player off, you add it to deadline, and then you activate that player and you keep the player that you added in the meantime. And, and I think for the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's going to be different because there's so many eyes on it. And I, I, at least from the intelligence that we've gathered, the league is closely monitoring this one. They're not going to be getting away with anything. I'm with you. I, don't, I can't imagine that a team is going to be keeping a Hart Trophy player off the ice um, for an extra month or four weeks, five weeks, because they want to skirt the cap. They want to get that player back in their lineup as soon as possible. But like I said, the tricky part is how do you do it? So they're going to have an obligation at a certain point when doctors clear uh, Nikita Kucherov to play him. And if they don't, well then, uh, and they try to go down this road, I think they could be in a position, at least from the NHL's perspective, that it could circumvent the spirit of the cap and spirit of the rule to the point where they might not be able to use them in the playoffs if they wanted to and didn't do the necessary work beforehand. Okay, so it's a mon- something to monitor. Well, there is a team, Frank, that uh, is in desperate need suddenly of a top six player, and uh, they are in a different division. So I guess if Kucherov comes back and they think he's going to play, uh, horrible news on the weekend, Anders Lee out for the rest of the regular season for the surging New York Islanders who are suddenly on fire and the best mm-hmm. team in the East. Yeah, and, and I think they're another team that's in that, very same position. Um, and I don't think anyone would cry foul at this point if Lee is out for the rest of the regular season and the Islanders were to add and do the exact same thing that the Chicago Blackhawks did with Kane a number of years ago and, and use that same LTIR exception to be able to add. So I think they have about $7 million in space and flexibility. And then after that, um, you know, they're running out of it. So they're going to try and, and, probably add I would imagine if they could and for a team that's in this position Barry Trotz coached uh be a specific addition 
uh, someone that they'd be targeting that fits well with their group. But I think they're a team to keep an eye on now for sure as we get closer to the deadline. Oh, they are a team. And, and Anders Lee, if you were playing him in, uh, in jock market right now, you know, that was a guy who was really trending upwards in the stock and now suddenly is going down. And of course, uh, if you haven't played jock market, go to jockmarket.com, jockmkt.com. Check it out. It's a, basically, it's a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. And the players have stock value. You can go up and down. You trade them all year long if you like, and you get certain fantasy points when, when, you, know, when you trade at the right time and drop the stock or pick it up. So check it out. Uh, it is available in the U.S. right now. And you can use the, uh, the promo code DFO20. So you get some uh, free points and it'll be coming very soon to Canada. So uh, look forward to it. Uh, Anders Lee right now would definitely be the guy who is, uh, is trending down and maybe Nikita Kudrov. Maybe you want to get him uh, a late pick later because uh, he might trend up for the final few weeks of the season. All right. Now let's get to our guest for episode 11. Our next guest played 11 years in the National Hockey League, helping the Chicago Blackhawks capture two Stanley Cups. This Lethbridge, Alberta boy also got to tour the world, finishing out his career with stops in Russia, Sweden, and Slovakia before transitioning to the dark side with Hockey Media. Please welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast, Chris Versteeg. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So let's start with your transition to media. Over the weekend, you made some interesting comments and actually – really hit home with me for the first time coming from a former player about the idea of protecting superstars. Everyone's seen the viz and the video of McDavid getting cross-checked, hacked and whacked behind the play. Uh, what was the breaking point for you? And, and have you always felt that way? Or has it been sort of since you've had a chance to look at the game a little bit differently as a media guy? Well, it, it's kind of how I started to feel near the end of my career about the abuse everyone takes, not just superstars. The reason first off, um, and I got a lot of questions when I said superstars, when I talk about that, it's first off, you know, in TV, you only have a short hit, but you have to get your point across too. superstars are targeted guys like me. I wasn't targeted every night. The superstars are targeted. So these guys are getting when I would watch near the end of my career. And then when I got in media, you're watching um, the rules get taken advantage of nightly. And that's not what the rules are there for. The rules are there for, for a structure that should be played within. Again, there's games outside the games, and I understand that. And when I when people say, well, what about the competition? Well, me bumping on you and, and grinding in the corners and fighting for room in front of the net, that's fair. And a good, clean shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder check, that's fair. A shoulder-to-head shoulder hit is not fair. A cross check to the back of an unsuspecting player's numbers when he's five feet from the boards is not fair. That stuff is what's going to get players hurt, really injured. You look at the players throughout history, superstars, Bobby Orr, uh, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby. These guys had a lot of cheap shots, Paul Correa as well, and a, a lot of unfortunate incidents that derailed their careers for quite a while, and, and they didn't need to happen. But those should have been learning blocks for where we are, for where we are today. We should have learned from those. We understand we still need, I still love passion. Like, like, again, I love passion. I love competitiveness. And you can be super passionate and super competitive within the confines of the rules. But when those other things are getting now into the game and superstars are getting hurt because they're targeted more, then what's it all for? First off, it kills the brand value. If I'm looking five years into the future and Connor McDavid's not in the game, it kills your brand. 
right? It kills the value of your company. So why would you ever want that to be even up for debate? You should protect these guys, Matthews, all these guys. You should also protect the lower players too. I'm not just saying superstar players. Every player should be protected within the confines of the rules. Otherwise, why do we have rules? Just throw them out. Right. So you're not advocating for any special treatment. You're just saying, call it by the book, every hack and whack, every additional cross-check, just call it. And then at okay. some point, guys will smarten up and, and stop doing it because they can't put their team down. 100%. When I came in the league, it was hooking, right? You couldn't hook. Now nobody hooks anymore. But then what happened is slashing took the place of hooking. So what happens is if I have more ability than my defender and I get around him, he was then allowed to whack my hands or stick to deter me from scoring. Well, why is that not called? Slashing is slashing, right? They're not calling that. So now they tried to clamp down on slashing and you could see scoring starting to go back up because if Connor McDavid's given more of a God-given talent or ability and also works, you know, works at that and he's better than you and he's beating you off the wall and he goes to that and gets his stick slashed and it's not called because they could call it eight times a game, which they could, then why is the slashing rule even there? And, and you're not going to let the superstars truly show what they can do every single night if you're going to let the level of play play down to the lower players. So why, why would you even want to be better than everyone if your ability is going to keep getting turned back? That's what I'm trying to say is the superstars in basketball, I'm not saying we have to be basketball either. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is our superstars will never, ever truly be superstars until you call the game, whether it be those, those chicken shit plays or the, um, the slashes going to the net or the interference and in areas on the ice that don't need to be contested. Until that goes, then the superstars, you won't really truly see what their potential is. Oh, Chris, man, you're speaking my language. I've been pumping on this for years. I've, I've never understood it. Other leagues have changed their rules. Just and, and I'm always like, just enforce the rules. It's very simple. Like hit, hitting from behind, I don't understand why it's not even more suspendable. Like Suzuki the other day got absolutely railroaded uh, five feet from the boards. And I'm like, there's no call on it. I don't really understand it. So when you played, was this talked about within the PA? Like, did they send like a, a proper memo to the league to say, hey, get your officials to call this? Like how much role can the, is the PA more powerful and do they need to flex their muscles here? Uh, well, for me, when I was playing, I don't, I just kind of grew up playing like that. You know, you would take runs at guys, you'd get runs. You would complain about the headshots here and there, but I truly believe the PA has a presence in this and they should have a presence in this to protect everyone. And the NHL should as well, because again, the value of the league, I, I think there's just a few things the NHL can do and tweak in order to elevate the league from where we are at a certain amount of billions of dollars to another amount of billions of dollars and more value and eyes on the ice, whether that be, you know, call the game right. And, and the PA is a big part of that. Again, they're a big part of making sure the game's called right. And the NHL as well, and also allowing their players to have individuality within the um, within the game too. And that means I still think they should get rid of suits. They got to get, they, and if guys want to wear suits, they can as well but let guys wear whatever they want from the bus into the rink. And that walk right there is a free red carpet every single time. And it can promote the players. They can have more brand attached to them. It can show their individuality. And, and I don't think anyone's going to leave the game because of what players are wearing to the game or fans will, but fans will probably come to the game because they'll want to see these players. So for me, the PA needs to look at these two major things, I believe, 
again, call the game right, individual game, brandability and, and individuality, and push these things forward if they ever want the league to take truly that next step because all these other leagues are doing it and they're taking off, right? I mean, the NBA is gone mad. It's gone crazy. The NFL, um, you know, MLB is trying to turn that corner. They quite, they haven't quite done it yet. And that's, I think they're stuck in limbo partial to the way their game's played. But hockey is such an tempo game. It's a game of the future. They're so talented. It's fast. It keeps your attention span. There's so much content within the game that it just needs to be done right. And that will get hockey to another like mega level, I think. Yeah, I'm with you wholeheartedly. When you can showcase your best players more and they can show their their great skill, people will watch it. But the other thing is to especially the younger generation, they don't necessarily want to know hockey ins and outs. Those are the diehards. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, so and so, this is what Patrick Kane wears to the rink, or Leon Dreisidel, or go through the the player in the in the different market. Um, hockey for the longest time seemed to to almost frown though in the culture of the game on individualism like somehow if you wore like a real big velour coat to the rink somebody the perception on the outside anyway was well this guy cares more about himself than the team and you know because we all know in hockey it's the ultimate team sport you need your fourth line guys to score and produce and defend in the playoffs is do you think that's changing slowly and and did you ever feel that by by ever kind of standing out in hockey that that was perceived as a negative oh 100 percent. yeah it's it's the game that, I mean, you remember, I remember years ago, Mike Green wore a mohawk to the game and everyone's like, this guy's a bad guy because he wore a mohawk in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Or just Patrick Kane would do funny things with his hair and they're like, well, he's trying to like stand. I'm like, who cares? Like, let these guys, you know, be themselves. They're great teammates. I, everyone loves Mike Green. Everyone loves Patrick Kane that played with them. So why? Because they're doing something different. Does that make them... Uh, bad or individuals or because they just want to stand out. So what? This is them. These guys have put so much time and effort into this sport. And why shouldn't they be allowed to stand out? They're the best of what they do. So it, it, it is confusing on that front, but the game is starting to change. It's starting to turn that corner. I know I have close friends to me that think the other way. They think they should wear suits and that's fine too. I will debate that any day of the week. And I will still be their friend and I love them, but I will debate that because I think it's just another way to grow the level of the game. And, and that's what the game needs more than anything right now is to find a way for these stars to break out on the ice and off the ice. Chris, as someone who played in Europe, as I mentioned, um, you know, that's the other next sort of frontier for the league to get to is to grow the game internationally. That's the thing that the PAs kept saying and the NHL itself. What would you like to see from a player's perspective in terms of the next step that the league needs to take internationally? Well, the Olympics, first and foremost, that would be the biggest thing to, to get into. And for me, it's to have better timed games to get your TV into the market, into Europe. So Saturday games, why is Connor McDavid playing at 10 o'clock Eastern time on a Saturday? You know, how are we going to penetrate the European market or these markets when they can't even watch the game because they're sleeping, you know? So I think it just starts with starting the games at the right time. Even out here, like I watch Calgary play and Edmonton play and I'm sleeping by the second period. I have to watch it in the morning. But if you're just a fair weather fan who doesn't watch the Oilers much, but you want to watch Connor, you're not going to stay up, right? 
So I think in order to penetrate the European markets, our, our games in the afternoons in um, North America need to happen or on the weekends in North America need to happen at a good time so we can penetrate the European market uh, through TV at, at good times for them to watch as well. Gotcha. So I wanted to ask you next about the trade deadline. We've got four weeks to go. You're someone that's been traded twice in that sort of deadline period. What's the, what's the pressure like um, when you go to a new team and, and, you know, especially a team with expectations. I remember I was covering the flyers when you came in from Toronto um, that February and, and, you know, I I wanted to get your take on this too. I, I was talking to a GM last week about, just the idea of adding a player and specifically with regards to being a rental that he feels like rentals don't work out at times because there's no expectation really that they're going to be there for the following season. It's almost like this is your run. You don't really have that much time to get comfortable. You think there's anything to that? And, and like I said, the, the pressure of, of joining a new team with expectations. Yeah, the, the rental process is tricky because I know when I got brought to Philly, I went there, but nobody came back. So when I would get on put on the power play, Billy Lano would get taken off, which would probably piss Billy Lano off, right? So when you're trading for guys that are going to play in your top six or top nine or play on power play, you got to almost make sure someone's going back out to make sure that ice is there. Because if it's a good team and they got a good feeling and they're feeling good about themselves, then to change the chemistry like that, you almost got to make sure that it's the right fit at the right time. That's why you probably see those fourth liners and third liners work out a little bit better. The that can keep the game simpler, that fit into their spots at the rental time than the top guys or the middle guys. Because also to be a top guy and go to a new team, the tricky part is is you, a lot of your plays you make are just subconscious plays. They're just you're you're so much in the game and you have the flow of the game and you're not thinking too much and you can make these quick quick plays. I noticed when you're comfortable, but when you get traded to a new team, you're in a new system. You're expected to score. You're expected to make all these plays and you're just not fully confident and comfortable. So that's, that's another issue I think with skilled guys going to new teams where you, you, if you're going to get a skilled guy, I think you should look a little more prior to the deadline, try to get them more comfortable slotted in, especially if there's a spot open, get them slotted in and get them used to the system. And then, then let their kind of creativeness come out after that. But, I mean, it, it, it really is. It's a really interesting time of the year of how you look at it. But I know for me, it was always the hardest time to get traded, to go into a team and play the way you know you can. Chris, your first trade, uh, you were a young guy. You get traded from Boston to Chicago. I think it was like February of 2007. And the Hawks, that was kind of the tail end of them not being a good franchise. You barely had games on TV. And five months after you got uh, traded, they won the lottery. And when we look back at at draft lotteries that changed the franchise, the Patrick Kane one definitely was massive for the Hawks. And he came in and then Taves came in at the same time. And then you guys signed Hosa a few years later. Can you talk about the evolution of those Blackhawk teams? And when you came to camp in uh, September of 2007, Patrick Kane just played his thousands game. He's a point of game guy. Did you see the greatness right away? Yeah. I mean, I remember I missed spring camp that year and my one buddy, Adam birdie, I was like, how's that Patrick Kane? He goes, this guy is disgusting. He is incredible. So when I got to camp that year, I I really got to witness it full hand because I was like, well, first off, I thought I was going to make the team out of camp that year. 
And then I realized I was competing now against Kane. And then I was like, Oh, I don't got a hope. So that was like the first real time where I got to see Patrick Kane live and how good he could be. The one thing people don't quite understand about Patrick Kane is how much dedication he does put into the game and how much he actually loves the game. Like I remember I would call him in like July and I'd be like, what's going on? He goes, Oh, I'm just heading to the rink. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I haven't been on the ice in like a month, you know, like I'm working out. So he was like, he was always on the ice all summer. And and that doesn't work for everyone. I'm not saying that works for everyone. It's just, he never had a burnout. He just loves the game. He was always on the ice before working on his, whether it be his shot. That's why I think his shots evolved over time too, is he just worked on it and worked on it before practice. He would stay on the ice after practice work. And again, it's not for everyone. I'm not saying what he's doing is for everyone, but I've never seen a, a guy in the NHL love the game of hockey more than Patrick Kane. Your season uh, with Chicago, 2007, eight, you didn't start in the, uh, in the NHL. You were in the American league. And I was looking at your numbers before you came on You had like a hundred, you had a point of game in the, in the, a that year, well, one of your best career, you're never really even a point of game guy in the dub, but you also had 124 PIMS. You had five fighting majors that year. Was, was that Chris Vert Stieg doing anything, you know, kind of outside your comfort zone? Is that when you realized, Hey, I might have to do things that I'm not really accustomed to because, you know, like you were, you know, you fought, I think 10 times in the NHL. So you weren't afraid to do it, but it wasn't your natural thing that you did. What happened that rookie year? Like did guys just piss you off in the minors or were you trying to become a, you know, show a different side of you to the Blackhawks organization? I'm going to take you back. So two years prior to that, I was playing defense in Red Deer. Like I never even thought I was going to play in the A. And then I made Boston as I play. I went to Boston at the end of the year, Providence, sorry. And I got a contract at the end of that year where I didn't think I was. So at 20, I actually had 72 points in 70 games as a 20 year old. So I never even had, like you said, a point of game in junior because I'd be playing defense. And I mean, I wasn't the brightest guy seemed at that time too, but um I, I mean, I, I lit it up that year, me and David Kretschy, and then I got traded, but I lit it up. I had such a great year, and I was like, man, I think I actually can make the NHL. So I got to Rockford again, and I was playing kind of fourth line at the start of the year because they had their guys, and then I got moved up. I started playing more, and then Stan Bowman came to me, and I started getting points again, right? And I thought that's how I was going to get to the NHL is just getting points, but then Stan Bowman and Norm McIver came to me and they said, if you get to the NHL, you're not just going to be a point guy. You got to do other things. And I had been in fights before, like in junior and in the A, but kind of at that time, it was just like a switch flipped, like probably in November, a uh, little before November. And I got in a couple of fights. I was just like, just an idiot, but I was jumping guys and I wasn't doing great, but I was just, I just saw a window to get there. And I was like, I'm going to do anything and everything to get there. And whether it was cause mayhem every night um, to, you know, to get noticed to, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, anything, like literally anything. I remember before one game, I had them announce me as Chris, the purest for Steve, you know, just to like give energy to the crowd. Like, this is a true story. So like I was coming out for the game and I told the announcer, I'm like, can you announce me as Chris, the purest for Steve? And so I started the game and it's like, welcome, Chris, the purest for Steve. And I get on the ice and our coach is losing it, you know, and, and uh, Dale Towns up in the box, he comes down. He's like, what the hell's that? You know, but I, I just felt like at that time, I was like, I needed to take on this, this almost new persona and, and try to fight and claw and become this guy that, you know, would get noticed. Cause I was like, I got all these points. I didn't get noticed. I'm like, I got to do something else. 
and it ended up getting me noticed. And I ended up playing, a, you know, a month later, I got to play or a few weeks later, I got to play uh, against Calgary, my first ever game in November of 2007. So did anyone call you the purist after that? I actually had it stitched in on one of my uh, uh, suits. I, like it was a joke. I'd always joke around uh, with my friends. We always did uh, like like nicknames. So I was like Ver Beauty, Ver Sweetness, you know, the purist. And uh, actually kind of worked out because when I went to Chicago, uh, you know, it was the sweetness. You know, Walter Payton and called himself the sweetness, I think it was. Yeah. So uh, Sarah Spain, when I met her, she would always call me Ver Beauty in inter- interviews and all that. So that kind of whole thing took on a life of its own, but the purest, uh, it didn't last long, but it was kind of a a running joke. That was funny. I I never knew you played defense. How did you make the transition? So at the end of my, so when I got to Red Deer as a 19 year old, um, Brent Sutter was just about to leave for world juniors and uh, Dallas Gom came up or he, we we lost like three players. This is in, I think it was start of November uh, three defensemen. And he's like, has anyone played D before? And I'm like, well, I played D in roller hockey. Cause I used to play roller hockey. And, uh, he's like, all right, whatever, go on defense. And since then he's like, he liked me on defense and he left me there the rest of the year. And kind of at the end of the year, Brent was asking me to stay back one more year and play D cause he thought I could play in the NHL as a D man. And, uh, so kind of at that time too, I was going to Providence and they, and Scott Gordon put me back on forward actually. Um, he didn't want me to play defense. So I was kind of in limbo at what I was going to do, whether I was going to, you know, I took a really small deal in the NHL compared to the other guys. Cause I didn't have great junior years, but I was like, okay, do I go take this NHL deal and take a kick at the can going forward? Or do I go back to junior as a 20 year old and try to become a defenseman like Brent, Brent saw me doing. So it was, I remember it was one of those moments where I was kind of on the fence of what to do actually before signing that contract. It's funny, Chris, I played low level junior, nothing I any right home about. And, and one year we had a coach who didn't really know what he was doing. And he announced the scorecard and we had another guy named Jason and that guy played defense and that's who was supposed to play. But it turned out to be me. And I was scared shitless the first game. Cause I'm not, <laughs> I, I wasn't even a great defensive forward when I played, but I ended up playing the whole year. And man, I got a total different appreciation for the yeah. game. Like I liked it. I hated when they dumped it in. Cause you get ran all the time, but seeing the ice as a defenseman, like it was a totally different different vantage point from behind the net and you could see everything. Do you find being a defenseman, did that help you later on as a forward in any fashion in the NHL? Yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent. Right. So I don't think as a forward, you truly understand like how much you get to see the game as a defenseman, like the game comes to you, whereas a forward, you got to take the game to it. Right. So I actually love playing defense more than I like forward, just because you get to think it a little bit more. You can make some more crafty plays. Um, and I, I just, I just loved it. I loved playing on the power play. I played on the power play on the point in Calgary. Um, I got to in Toronto as well in Chicago a little bit. So it was just, I, I just love seeing the game that way. And it just, you don't have to work as hard as defensemen. You got to be smarter. You got to make more high dangerous plays. You got more responsibility, but the effort you exert is not quite as a forward. So me going to defense that year, completely helped me have the best year of my life in Providence and Norfolk that next year where I, you know, I I was a 20 year old that got over a point a game. And it was because I played defense. I understood the responsibilities. I got a new view on it. And plus I played for or for Brent who was like super upfront, super straightforward. 
And he told me what I needed to do and what not to do. So I think that really clicked in my head too, of, you know, what I needed to do to be a pro and, and be a successful pro. So going to Red Deer and having that whole experience was, uh, I looked at it at the time I was worried about it, but when you look back on it, it was the one that I think made the biggest difference on my career. Now, speaking of defensemen, obviously, I think you had a respect and appreciation for, for that position. And uh, when you guys won Stanley Cups, you had four really good defensemen, specifically Keith and Seabrook. And Brent Seabrook, unfortunately, had to retire prematurely recently uh, due to injury. Do you know what Seabrook said to uh, Captain Sirius in the penalty box uh, during the playoffs? Because it, I, I know people like look at that and there and, and a lot of people talk about how Jonathan Taze was a great leader for your team. But that Seabrook maybe was was a guy who was a leader that maybe a lot of the public didn't realize how important he was. So, A, um, how good of a leader was Seabrook? And B, do you, do you know what he said to, to Johnny at that time in the penalty bench? I have no idea. And I've never asked because that was in 2013. So I came after they won that year. I came back to Chicago. I actually wasn't there, but that was a play. I remember when I was watching it and I knew what he was doing because John, he's a guy when he gets going, he gets like super intense. He gets almost like he turns into a madman almost, you know, and, and, and it works out most of the time. And you could see Siebes was seeing at that, at that moment, it might not work out for John if he loses his cool. Cause I believe he had three minor penalties right at that moment Yeah, in the game. So knowing Siebes, he was my captain in junior too. We played three years together in Lethbridge and at 17, he was the captain. You, you're not just a great player at 17 to be a captain. You have to be a good leader, especially in juniors in those days. Because in, in the early 2000s, no one was going to respect you as a 17-year-old captain unless you were really good and people respected what you're saying. And so I could only imagine that Steve's is just telling him to calm down and that we need him because he, he really, truly believed in building guys up. I know if I was ever struggling, he'd come over to me and ask me if I'm okay. He really cared about the person. He wanted to build you up. It wasn't, he would yell at me too when I deserved it. Like, wake up, Steger, like, wake, wake up now. And I'd be like, all right. And he would also tell me when he felt that I needed like a motivational boost or just someone to talk to. He, he really reads guys very well. And that's what great leaders do is they understand when they need a kick in the ass and when they need a motivational lift or when they just, uh, when, or sorry, mm -hmm. or, or when they just need someone to talk to. And he's, he's just that guy that I've known for so long. I'm so fortunate to play with because he's helped me out so many times in my life and my career that I'm, I'm just so thankful to be in his teammate, see it firsthand and also witness, you know, honestly, no one calls him a hall of famer. I'm not calling him a hall of famer, but in Chicago, he's a hall of famer. Like he's been in on the biggest goals in those last five years, whether overtime goal against Nashville, the triple overtime, the overtime goal to go to the Stanley cup finals against Detroit. He's assisted goals, the Stanley cup final goals in 2010. Like this guy's in on every single big moment in Hawks history. And I said, yeah, he, he might, he's not going to get a cane and taste statue, but there better be a statue of his head somewhere in the building just because of everything he's done. Uh, I love that. And <laughs> You know, you look back at those Chicago teams and now you're an analyst. Do you find, hey, you won two cups. It, every analyst is supposed to be impartial, but I'm sure you might follow the Hawks highlights a little bit closer sometimes to see what's going on. And, you know, there's no Taves this year. Seabrook's gone. You know, Hosa left many years ago. There's Kane and, and Key still there. And Kirby Doc, even, who was supposed to be their number one center, he hasn't played yet this year. But here they are. They're in a, in a playoff position. you got Kevin Lankinen playing lights out. They, they found another 
European veteran player that no one thought of. And Pui Suter is like a first line center at times. What do you make of the Hawks this year? And how surprised are you that they're in a, in a playoff spot over halfway through the season? Yeah, I am surprised. I know when I was on XM at the start of the year, they asked me who's going to be the 30, I, who's going to be the 31st place team. And prior to Kirby and John not going, I had them at about 26, 27. But when those guys didn't show up, I was like, I think they're going to be 31st. Them or Detroit are going to be competing for the last place. I've obviously been proven wrong, and that's great because these guys are playing at a different level right now. They're playing for each other. Um, Even the goaltending they're getting from Kevin is not shocking. I was with Kevin in Rockford last year, and I got to see how good he was. Like He's hard to score on in, in, um, in practice. He lit it up in the games he was like unbelievable so I remember at the start of this year I said when they were talking about goalies I did talk about Kevin Lankinen was going to be the starter over Malcolm and over Colin Dillia I thought just because of what I got to see from him again I don't know goalies very well I just knew he was super hard to score on but the the way they defended last year really worried me because there was a lot of isolation issues and and it was one-on-one and then they'd wanted like high pressure at times they've made some tweaks to their system that I think benefited their team and also, like you've talked about, they've gone out and they found these older European players that can fill spots. Now, are these guys going to be there for the future? I don't know. Maybe. The thing I would worry a little bit about those older European players is yeah, Pui Suter was playing at the start of the season. They have their legs. They're, you know, they get in this season. They're confident where the other guys haven't. So he got off to a good start and he will be a good player. That's where I think he would settle into a third, most likely a fourth line role, please, suitor. That's why I would get a little cautionary on putting him, you know, as a first or second line centerman. Um, but yeah, they've they've found ways to win. Uh, struggling a little bit as a late, but it's been great to see that these young guys, Brandon Hagels as well, another kid who played in Red Deer, uh, lived at my billets house actually, and all these other kids, they're coming in and they're contributing to the winning culture. And that's been set by Cat- Patrick Kane. So, Chris, last one for me before we get to rapid fire. Uh, I just wanted to ask about your transition to media and what it's been like for you. You mentioned picking the Hawks 31st on XM. Like, do your buddies give you grief? And has it been um, easier, harder about what you thought it would be to to transition to TV? Well, it, the first transition to TV is I didn't realize how much hockey you have to watch. Like, it's <laughs> it's not easy to watch this much hockey if you're supposed to cover all the teams like you know yourself frank and jason are you generally just edmonton right uh, a little so, bit but I, I i like to do the whole league and so my nephew's yeah. now in san jose so i'm watching the west all the time too my so, wife so doesn't yeah, really like it you can see how the the beat writers or the the everyone who has to cover that team how you can be laser focused on one team and you can really pick it apart it gets difficult at times when you you think you're talking about one team, but you might be talking about another almost just because you're like, man, I watched like two games last night. I missed one. I got to like record one, watch some of the shifts from this game. So I think as, as an athlete, you don't think about that when you think about the media members, but now being in the media, again, the transition for me, um, the most difficult is making sure you can find the time to watch the hockey. Cause I do have, Uh, my own company as well that's been started and you want to make sure you give critical analysis and good feedback and make people understand that what you're saying you truly believe in and that's the other thing that I know with me is uh, 
you're not going to just bring me in and put me in the media and expect me to just say, Oh, good game. Here's the four check. Here's that. I'm probably, I'm truly going to give my real analysis and my real opinion. And if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't, but um, I won't, I won't just say what the guys did 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. I'm truly going to stick to what, you know, I believe in and what I, my opinion is. Before we get to five questions, uh, rapid fire, what's your company that you're running? So it's called Clever App. It's actually, a, it's a new app that'll be, you know, for athletes, parents and coaches. And it's pretty exciting, really exciting. We'll, we're just, you know, building out the team now. And um, yeah, I, I truly think it's going to revolutionize a lot of things. It's really exciting stuff. And when I get it out, uh, I'm going to get it out to everyone to see, you know, the product and everything it's it's pretty pretty cool so uh i i can't give certain detailed information now but at some point soon uh it'll be out and um i'm excited about it okay well we look forward to that okay so in rapid fire the only rule is you have to answer the question okay yep all right here we go so uh first one you were traded seven times what was the best trade for you Chicago. The first or the second time? The first. Okay. Which was the worst trade at the time that you just hated? Uh, to Carolina. You played. I hear you're a funny guy. What's the best prank you've done or the best prank you've seen on a teammate? Uh, the best prank is I cut Dustin's sticks bufflin sticks for practice he went out and broke them and then he chased me around the ice half the practice after that so he had to use adam burrish's stick the rest of practice he was fanning on pucks and he was literally like shooting pucks at me in in the lineup he was so angry but uh there's been a lot of pranks especially in those 2007 to 2010 but that's my most memorable one of bufflin just losing it the entire practice what about omsk if you have to describe your time in Omsk, what would you say? You know what? It, it was it was good. It was fine because there was Maxime Talbot, David Darnay. We were actually in Moscow. We weren't in Omsk, so I've never been to Omsk, so I can't even tell you what Omsk is like. But um, as a whole, it was just a tough situation because I got sick there. I actually got shingles when I got in Russia. And, uh, so being between being sick and having shingles, it was a bit of a rough go that way. But as for, you know, being at the rink and being around the guys, it was, it was great. Best Russian food you ate. Borscht. Oh, I, I ate a ton of borscht. What was the, uh, the worst or strangest food you tried in Russia? Um, you know what? I don't know. I, I know a lot of guys like it. It's the, it's the, red caviar is it yeah. red caviar so the guys there they all eat it before the game and i can't have fish oil like fish oil for me it's like i'm burping it up but that was super fishy so it was a little i i didn't enjoy it but i know all the players the russian players love eating it before the game so you can only pick one in the offensive zone with a puck on their stick mcdavid or patrick kane You're going to get me killed. Um, in the playoffs or in regular season? Or do I just got to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, one guy's had a little bit more success in the playoffs. Yeah. Sure, no, at any point. 
I was trying to make both fan bases happy. Honestly, McDavid's the best player I've I've ever witnessed with my eyes. Uh, his his speed is pretty because you saw him when you were in camp uh, with the Oilers and yeah. then uh, you were a uh, an unsigned player and then you signed in Calgary at that time. W- was there any trepidation at all doing that because that's a very unique situation to be on a, on a PTO and then sign with their arch rival. That was a tough situation. I just knew it came down for me for family and opportunity. Opportunity being um, really big for myself because I still felt I could play and I didn't want to be in and out of the lineup. So that was a difficult situation, especially the story. You know, I signed with Calgary. I went to the hotel in uh, the Delta. I got in the hotel. uh, I got into the elevator. And when I looked up, it was Wayne Gretzky. He was, I guess it was the first ever game was going to be held at Rogers the next night. Yeah. And so like Yari Curry and all the, all the greats were at the the Delta. But when I got in the, the elevator, I was like, Oh my goodness, it's Wayne Gretzky. And I've never met Wayne. And my dad is like insane, insane Wayne fan, craziest Wayne Gretzky fan. He used to make me watch him all the time as he should have, cause he's the greatest. But um, he goes, well, welcome dad. You know, he's like, are you excited about Edmonton? And I was like, I just signed with Calgary, you know? And it was like, kind of like, oh boy. And he's like, and then, and then Wayne was like, okay, good luck. You know, he's like, have a great one. And he's like, good luck. And then, and then I opened the door and it was Brent Gretzky standing right there. And Wayne's like, Hey, he just signed in Calgary. He goes, I know. And then it was kind of a funny situation, but um, that, that, and then the next night we went out and we played, uh, Edmonton and I was just with all the guys at camp so it was again super strange situation because throughout camp you're becoming friends with everyone and it it was definitely tough but at the end of the day I was just super happy that I ended up in Calgary um, you know playing in front of a lot of friends and family every night and then I I got to play a lot of minutes which was I, I thought amazing for me and I got another contract out of it. And lastly if you are stuck in the wilderness with no electricity and you need to make a hut, which former teammate do you want to be stuck in the wilderness with no phone and just starting from scratch and why? It's got to be Dustin Bufflin, man. I've brought his name up twice today. He's a avid fisherman, avid hunter. So I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to hunt or cook. Well, that's perfect, man. Surviving good answer. Chris, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was great. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. That's Chris Versteeg, Frank. I can see why they get him into uh, to the media. Well-spoken guy, not afraid to share his opinion. And man, I'm loving where he comes out on. Just call the rules. Let If yeah. you're better and that forces the other players to have to abide by the rules, it's, I don't see any negative in it at all. I just like that he's not asking for special treatment. It's not just about superstars. It's yeah. just call the game as the rule book says. Stop letting the rest of the players get away with this stuff and and everyone will be better off for it. Not only that, but I think that's one of the NHL's big problems is not just protecting players, but it's consistency because the game is so different in the playoffs. That's why you talk about, you know, these some of these deadline acquisitions and what players bring. Well, the reason why is because the game's different. So you need to build your team a little bit differently when you get there. And man, um, I think everyone will be better off for it. And hey, speaking of building your team uh, different every week, go to uh, jockmkt.com where it's a combination of fantasy sports and the stock market. You're buying in on stocks and the players. So I'm going to ask you, Frank, whose stock is rising this week? 
Well, this guy would be a penny stock in most normal circumstances. Joey Decord, goaltender from the Ottawa Senators. Hat tip to our man Tyler there, uh, our producer for the suggestion. Think about it. Uh, gets the the last second call for Matt Murray. Gets his first career NHL win. And now with Murray being injured, he's going to get a couple kicks at the can against a team like the Vancouver Canucks. By the way, their goaltender, Thatcher Demko, has been really pretty good the last number of, uh, of weeks here. So uh, Joey Decord would be a nice buy low, uh, sell high type of player at this point. Oh, I loved his emotional post-game interview too. Guys getting choked up, first NHL win. That's uh, pretty cool. So go to Jock MKT. Maybe uh, you can get the court on a penny stock right now and it'll rise up. Uh, another great week, another great episode, Frank. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Fridays. We'll be within four weeks of the uh, NHL trade deadline. And as Verstique said, uh, earlier the better if you want to get a skilled guy. So maybe we'll see some of those dominoes start to fall. We'll talk to you Friday. Bring it off. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.